Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brent Smith, uh, joined by my co-host, Daniel Yelverton, context man, as some of you might know him now. Um, but uh, today we are, <laughs> there you go, Michael's holding up a sign that says super context man. Um, but we're also joined by Michael Miller today, and then we're joined yes. by um, a friend of ours that I don't think we've ever had on the podcast before, have we? It's Alan Unversall joining us. Have you been on here with us before or not? I don't believe so. Uh, maybe two years ago. It was a long ago. time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh. once. Yeah. A while ago. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, man. Um, we are going to be getting into 2 Samuel 14 today, everybody, just so you guys know, um, as we move into further into the book of uh, 2 Samuel 14. Um, so what do we need to know about this context, man? Go ahead and give us what we got here. <laughs> My intro music, right? Um, all right. So uh, I still need a shirt, Michael. So we got to work on that. Uh, so this is kind of basically we start seeing David's kingdom really fall apart. Um, there is this is the we've seen it ever since Second um, Samuel uh, chapter 11 with uh, David and Bathsheba, the infamous story uh, where David basically steals one of his best friend's wives and has him murdered in the process. Uh, so it's a pretty terrible story. Uh, ultimately, uh, what comes out of that is uh, just a total strife and conflict between David's family. Um, previous chapters before, um, one David's oldest son, um, uh, I guess it's Amnon, yeah, Amnon, ends, Amnon, up, uh, yeah. ends up raping his half-sister Tamar, uh, and David really doesn't do anything about it. Uh, doesn't punish him at all for it. And so he, Tamar's brother, Absalom, uh, kind of harbors a grudge for, plans his death basically for two years, invites them all over to his house for a party, and then kills his brother, his older brother, in front of all of his other brothers. And um, then Absalom runs away and lives with his family, I guess, for three years. So he's kind of been banished for three years. And so that's kind of leading us up to right now. And there's just a lot of, it's all, there's so much mess going on with this. Um, David's family is completely falling apart. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where, that's kind of where we are right now. And it eventually will lead to a really terrible rebellion and ultimately more of David's family being killed. Is, is the worst part of the Bible in here where they cut off half the people's beards? Oh yeah. That's, no, that's a, uh, that's a, uh, that's, I think in, um, I that's think pretty traumatic. I think my... it's chapter ten. <laughs> the worst part of the Bible. They they that's cut off just... half of people's beards and then they cut their robes so their butts hang out. And so yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's not they, a big deal. The they, beard part though. And then they send them away. <laughs> so they it's kind of like a shame thing to have half your beard and then also your butt hanging out. So it's almost like the best part of the Bible, where um there's this bald guy that was you know that was speaking and like the children were making fun of him, mm-hmm. and then like a bear came and killed all the children. That's a wow. prophet, a prophet. Elisha. Elisha. Yeah, yeah. Like don't yeah. make fun of bald guys because a bear will come and eat you. Is that what you're teaching our kids? Yeah. That's basically, that's basically what I'm like, listen, children, if you make fun of me, a bear will come and eat you. So yeah. <laughs> I just look forward to us to maybe reenact uh, in one of our like creative experiences, second Samuel 10, where somebody has to shave half their beard and then cut uh, like a little square out of their robe for their butt to hang out, Michael. I think you're the perfect part for this. 
Well, Daniel, you don't have much of a beard, so you, you no, can't do it. I'm disqualified, which is like this is the only perk I've ever had. If, if but, I cut off half of beard, he still has more beard than all of us combined. But a quick shout out for VBS. In August, first week of August, we're going to have VBS, and Daniel wow. is going to have to be either Mario or Luigi. So he's mm. going to have to have the mustache, you know, looking looking good. And, and, and I hopefully we can convince, really not Jeff, we have to convince Tiffany to let Jeff grow the mustache so he could be the other one, either Mario or Luigi. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't, I don't think she really likes the mustache. I think she should do it for the kids. Come on. Uh, for the glory for of God. For the children. Think, for the know. children. <laughs> for the children. All right. The children are our for future. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices. We are the world. <laughs> so, did no I miss anything? No copyright in context, claims on that one. Michael? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Did I miss anything in context? I, I think you really hit the, the big parts. I mean, yeah. the, we, we've seen basically David's rise and we're beginning to see David's fall. All right, you guys. Well, um, before we get into, thing, into uh, the reading for today, Alan, like we said hi to you, but like, what are you doing Hello. today? Where are you? What's going on? Let the people get to know uh, you. Well, I'm working from home, so this is my my lunch break, and uh, everything's going well. We we all go back to the office full time on Monday, and we have to wear face masks the entire day. Oh so man, I, I'm thinking things will probably change after the first day because people are going to be miserable and angry from wearing face masks. But <laughs> hey, we've been able to work from home for a couple months now. It's been really nice. And uh, so it's, it's going to be nice to get back into a routine, but it's also going to be hard not being at home. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's, just, uh, just a change, change of season. It's good. It's yeah. all good. Good. Uh, you know, I'm still employed. A lot of our, most of our uh, employees are still employed. So we're very fortunate aspect where I know a lot of people have not uh, been so fortunate. So yeah. Kind of our blessings. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a weird, weird time uh, for sure. <laughs> And getting weirder as we're trying yeah. to figure out how to get back to life, you know. So, um, yeah. well, I'm glad that we were able to get you um, to join us today before you start back to the regular uh, regular schedule next week. So, um, yeah, this, be, this would probably not be possible next week. Yeah. So I'm glad you were able to join us, man. Um, so, guys, we'll go ahead and get into today's reading um, and we'll do it from the Dwell app here in just a second. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow. My husband is dead, and your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, and they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death 
for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the air also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son be not destroyed, he said. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please, let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself. Inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again, we must all die. We are like water spilled of the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now, I have come to say this to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid, and your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant, for the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, The word of my lord the king will set me at rest, for my lord the king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord the king speak. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground, and paid homage, and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went 
to Gesher, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house, and did not come into the king's presence. Now, in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head two hundred shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he said a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king, and, if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king, and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. All right, Second Samuel 14. So um, the Tamar that they mention in here um, is not the same one as the chapter before this, correct? Maybe no, he he's, named, she's I named that in honor of in Tamar? In honor of her, yep. Okay, yeah. so... So help me out here a little bit because I listened um, to these together today. I listened to Second Samuel 13 and 14 um, together. And so there's definitely some Old Testament stuff going on in Second Samuel 13 for sure. Uh, with uh, what's the brother again? Uh, Emnon uh, that decides that he wants yeah. to sleep with his sister Tamar, um, which is just funny the way that they reference things because I know that in the version I was listening to um, – he wasn't calling Tamar his sister. Yeah, he was, was calling her the sister of my brother, which was interesting. Um, but then uh, with what he did, he obviously violated her, raped her. Um, like you mentioned earlier in the context that David didn't really do anything about it. Um, Absalom was angry about it. So how do we get from there to this, to where um, Joab is telling this woman to go to the king and lie? How does that all tie together? So what's, I guess what's happening here is that, so three years has passed since the whole event happened. So mm-hmm. since the, 
uh, and it's 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 his half sister, and Amnon is also the firstborn, so he's the heir to the throne. Mm. Absalom is the third in line, and then there's one in between, but we literally hear nothing about him since we know that he's just been born to David, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and so um, there is a lot of it's kind of weird to see some of the those things kind of behind the scenes, even how David interacts with Absalom. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so there's three three years has passed while Absalom has basically been banished. And I, I see like David basically um, overcompensating, I would say, for lack of a better term. So mm-hmm. like he undercompensates for his firstborn and he doesn't punish his firstborn Amnon for what he did, which was just terrible uh, to his, I mean, his daughter and Amnon's half sister. And then, um, so then Absalom in itself, he, so justice doesn't get served there. So Absalom kind of takes it into his own hands, mm-hmm. murders mm-hmm. his brother. Uh, and then runs and then now uh, in this time of of the David having the opportunity to reconcile with his uh, son and still like go through the process of like retribution and justice but also eventually reconciling with him he doesn't so he kind of overcompensates by banishing him and then he pulls him back but then he said he doesn't see him for two years mm-hmm. so like five years has happened since all of this stuff, the events that started in um, chapter 13 to where we are now at the end of this chapter. And, and so you see that David is very inconsistent in that, like inconsistent in kind of how he doesn't punish his Amnon, but then kind of uh, is more um, like really just basically doesn't even try to reconcile with Absalom. And then he, then when Absalom finally sees him, he doesn't really go through the process of punishment at all. He just kisses him and is like, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that are going on here that are Old Testament, but it's, I see a lot of just bad parenting um, and not really being consistent at all, which is, I mean, being a parent, that's really hard. It's hard to stay consistent when it comes to yeah. punishment. But I think that these things are pretty terrible that's happening in his family and i think that he just kind of turned a blind eye to it and then overcompensated i think is really part of just kind of i think david's still just dealing with his own issues with guilt and and not really even understanding how you know how it's you know i don't know how how, all of this is kind of trailing back to i think the whole david and Bathsheba scene anyways So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or not, Brent, but uh, that's kind of some of the things that I see kind of sticking out, I guess. Yeah, it helps fill in the blanks a little bit. Um, but uh, so what do you guys what do you guys think about this chapter? What stood out to you guys about this um, that you want to talk about today? One thing that stood out to me is that it reminds me of, of back when we were reading about Samson and we mm. were seeing that like Samson did a bunch of things that he shouldn't have done. Right. But but the way the text reads it's kind of ambiguous about whether it was some of those things were right and wrong, right? Like, you know, the Bible sometimes gives us the narrative and what we have to do is, is figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think this is a good example of that. You know, when, when we have someone basically coming to the King, telling a story and lying to him, you know, we're, we're, we're left like, should she have done that? You know, you know, was this right or was this wrong? We see that this thing had a, almost like a good outcome, because it convinces the king. And so um, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that we should see this and be like, this is how you handle problems. You just go to someone <laughs> and then you lie to them with the story about yourself and be like, yeah. ha gotcha. Like, 
I think sometimes we read the Bible and we and we do that. We say, well, this isn't the Bible, so this is right. This is the way we should do things. So let's do it just like she did. So I think that we have to to put things in better context. And and I think one thing that that I'm learning this year about the Bible is sometimes we're supposed to struggle with it. I think I think the way God has this this thing designed is sometimes um there, there, there are things that look like they have conflicts. There, there's, there's a time where, and I think like one verse right after you, the other in Proverbs, it says to like not suffer a fool or not listen to a fool. And then, and then it says like to listen to a fool, like right <laughs> after each other. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? Exactly. <laughs> I think sometimes the Bible is asking us to ponder things and use the spirit to find wisdom. So and in, in chapters like this, when we see these weird things, this is not saying this is not a manual on how to to convince someone of authority to do something. Uh, this is just showing you what happened. And, and we can pray and we can study and we can think about these things and how that would work in our lives. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, when I read this, the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus, maybe directly or indirectly. And I look at this going, where do I see Where's Jesus in this? And he's not mentioned anywhere here, but it does show us the brokenness of man. And even, even the appointed kings, the appointed you know, uh, people are un- unable to meet a standard. And you just see this absolute brokenness. And like uh, what Dave, uh, Daniel laid out the, the context of this, you have the king, a young boy who slayed Goliath. And he was on that high point, right? And his career became king. And then when he committed the adult, uh, adulterous act, everything was downhill from there. And, but God says he's the apple of his eye. He, God loves David. Because David, even in all this, uh, goes back uh, to God and prays to God and, and trusts and loves God. And I know it's not in here, but that's kind of the context of also what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing is this does this does point to Jesus because it's showing that there's no human that is capable of fulfilling the role that Jesus does. Everybody we read in the old Testament, there's so many, so much brokenness and there's so many bad things happening. But when we read about Jesus, we don't, he's not broken. He's not doing wrong things. He's not sinning where everybody before him does that. So uh, that's kind of where I, I, I look at this is where does Jesus fit in the story? And it does, it does point to Jesus because showing that human, that man cannot fulfill the role. They're not, they can't be the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice um, for our sin. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think also like, so I, the way that I see Joab um, using this woman to kind of, sh- it's almost similar to how Nathan approached David. So it's like Nathan approached David with a parable, right? And so she's kind of approaching David with a story and the story is supposed to bring to light the issue that's going on. And so it's it's not perfect, obviously, because she's deceiving him. She does come out and say like, hey, this is, <clears throat> I was put up by, uh, I was given the words by Joab, um, but it is kind of set up in a way so that David will recognize air of his ways by hearing it in a story and that's that's a uh, awesome way that jesus teaches too and how he's able to take a story and bring principles to it and and i think that there is an underlying uh there is an underlying uh pathway of reconciliation that god goes that god goes on towards us 
that we see a little bit in here, but not obviously perfectly, right? So like the pulling back of the banish, like the one that's been banished, the one that's been pushed out of the presence, right? That is uh, lost connection with the king. Uh, God still pursues that. Like David doesn't pursue that, right? But God does. God pursues us in our banishment. He pursues us when we're distant from him. Um, but, uh, but it does give us, I think, a chance and an opportunity to learn from David's flaws in this process. Because I think what the woman says is really interesting about how our lives are like water that's spilled out that we can't really collect. And, and I think what she's kind of uh, alluding to here is a sense of urgency to be reconciled. Like our, we don't know how much time we have. And so if there is a, if there is somebody that we have as estranged or if there is a reconciliation that needs to take place in our lives that we need, we should do it now. We should act on it now. And, and David, one, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, pursue the, his son to not only be reconciled, but also to work through the process of repentance and consequences and things like that. Uh, but even when he does draw them back, he still, like, he doesn't, he doesn't bring him back into the family. And that's not the way God operates at all. And I think there's something that's within us that's broken and how we respond to God, because sometimes I feel like we feel like when God draws us back to himself, uh, that we still have to somehow earn the king's favor, earn mm-hmm. his attention, even earn an opportunity for an audience for him. And, and that's not the case at all, the way God operates. God, when we when he draws us back, uh, we are elevated to the right of sons and daughters through what Jesus has done. And so uh, I think this is for me, like seeing how David treated Absalom is not how God treats us when he draws us back to himself. He doesn't estrange us at all. We're not close, but far away, if that makes any sense. Like he is, he is present uh, and he is close and he has drawn us near to him. And, you know, our choice is then if we remain in his presence, uh, not the other way around. We, we hmm. see this again, Daniel, at, at the end of this chapter with how, um, how, like, like you said, how Absalom had lived away for two years, and, and we see this with uh, with he and Joab, because you know he Absalom sends for Joab, and Joab doesn't say anything. And then this is, I think, it's kind of funny. He sets his field on fire, you know, <laughs> like you said, Samson like move, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so like you said, God, God isn't like that. God, God, you know. God responds, but you know, an interesting thing here, I think that I I could see kind of as a parent, I have a 10 year old Christian who he talks constantly. He needs constant attention and affirmation. Um, And what's difficult is, is I have a tendency, like, especially right now, while Tiffany's um, she's still deployed, you know, for a nursing home with COVID-19, you know, response I have, I, at the end of the day, I have so much that I, like, all I hear from his mouth is blah, 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 blah. I, I can't even process what he's <laughs> saying anymore, but I, I try my best to give him the attention, the attention that he needs. And the reason why is as parents, if we don't give our kids positive attention, and I'm not saying that to give them, you know, over attention because there, as a parent, there is a limit, you know, that, that a healthy limit that we need to set. So they don't think that they have to have attention everywhere where they go all the time. But if we completely ignore our kids, often they will do bad things to get your attention. And we see, we see it with, with kids at school all the time. Kid, bullies often 
do it for attention. Class mm. clowns do that stuff for attention. Often they're not getting the attention they need at home. And, and sometimes as parents, we wouldn't even know if that's our kid or not because kids act differently away from home than they do you know, in, in public places. So <laughs> is your kid going out and setting a fire because um, you know, the, they've been ignored for two days? So, I mean, and I'm not, I know these are adults. I know that Joab and Absalom, they're, they're adults, but just the point is, is that um, we should be attentive to people when, when they cry out with a need. Cause if, you know, we don't want them setting fires, whether it be literally or metaphorically. You know, it's, even though these are adult men, um, they, they're not acting like men. So it just really shows that David did not intervene any early in their life to show them, walk them into manhood. So they're adult males. They don't know how to act like men. Uh, very childish behavior here. I mean, I can't imagine burning a field down to get the attention of your brother. That's <laughs> who does that, right? Mm-hmm. We know, Alan. Another thing with parenting on this is, and maybe I'm being judgmental, but I'm just speaking out loud as I as I think of this. Um, we know David was on the battlefield. Nothing wrong being on the battlefield. I'm not saying that, but that was his job. It was his work. That's what yeah. he did. And maybe, maybe he spent so much time at being the king, so much time being the warrior. And I understand that job has a lot of stresses. So don't hear me the wrong way. Yeah. But maybe he spent more time at, at his position than he did being a dad. Because we it's, see it's, we see lots of issues in his family. And I know the biblical scholars are going to go out there and be like, well, it says right here that, that these things happen because of he, you know, him and Bathsheba. And I get it. I, I think, I think he can really get into idolatry. You know, he, he really, um, he was worried about who he was and his identity and yeah. begin to idolize himself. And then you spend so much time. And I think we can apply this to any of us. Absolutely. We spend so much time worrying about our status or our job or who we are, something that's, you know, making up our identity that we lose sight of the things that are most important to us and our, and our children, mm-hmm. our wives are the most important thing, uh, in, you know, in our lives before work or before our identity. And mm-hmm. it's just showing that he's not doing it. He's it's showing, it's showing that David is like a normal human being where lots of faults, lots of breakdowns, uh, and his children are following that path. So, it kind of puts emphasis on me as, as a, uh, a parent to look, kind of do that, that stop, you know, and, and assessment of where am I at? What thing, am I paying attention to my kids? Am I bringing them up the right way? Am I leading my son to be a man? Are we walking my daughter into womanhood and showing them what it looks like to be an adult? Because if not, these are the things, I think the Bible, show, this is very good. The Bible showing us what not to do. But a lot of us are going to fall into these traps, even if we because we can't be perfect. I think also one thing that sticks out to me is is that I don't know how David, if David really was able to forgive himself for what he did, like the process mm-hmm. of reconciliation, especially as we reconcile ourselves back to God. Um, sorry about the Saul again, uh, if you guys can hear it. But the process of being reconciled back to God is not only working through the consequences that we have to deal with, but also receiving his forgiveness and our our, like right standing back with God. And I think about like, there's probably stuff that's like all too familiar here, right? The sexual sin of Amnon uh, raping Tamar, similar to the sexual sin of Ahim Bathsheba. 
his brother murdering his brother, just like he murdered um, uh, Uriah the Hittite, you know? And so like you, he probably is almost like seeing a replay of the things that he has done. And I think as parents, we almost, I think that, 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 that can cause me to freeze sometime and to not act in a good way because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they're doing the same things that I have done, right? They're following in my footsteps. And then we might try to um, almost like punish or deal with consequences in a way that doesn't actually deal with the issues because we haven't yet dealt with the issues ourselves. Okay. And, and so like, and so you see that that, but that, that process doesn't work at all. Right. So him like either undercompensating or overcompensating based on probably the similarities that he's seeing in his own mistakes and his life mistakes. Right. Um, you know, we see that two, two, both don't work at all. Right. Like undercompensating just lets your kids kind of continue to run wild. Overcompensating drives them to, to bitterness and anger and resentment towards you. Right. Yeah. Rebellion. And, and, yeah, and the rebellion that we literally see the very next chapter is called Absalom's Rebellion, right? And mm. so it's like you see these kind of consequences. And so I think us not, as parents, not dealing with our own process of being reconciled back to the father is going to have trickle-down effects on how we raise our children and how uh, we discipline our children, how we respond when they are acting in a similar manner to us. Do we come down like with a really like iron fist because we want to make sure that they don't follow in the same mistakes that we have, but then drive them away? Or do we want to experience more grace when we think back on our past that we, that we show like we, we kind of uh, undercompensate and then we give like way too much mercy when there needs to be more discipline or there needs to be a little bit more harsher punishment and, and so uh that to me i don't know is kind of like an undercurrent and i think that as a parent even realizing this like uh there's times when i you know eh, see similarities in my son and i have to like really be conscious about am i over like am i overcompensating for that and then punishing harshly or am i undercompensating it because i still feel like I haven't been truly reconciled back to God because of the issues that I've had. Yeah. We have a, um, a comment here from Sean Mann. He says, for me, it's all about the response, how we respond after our actions. We all fall short, but making it right at times is bigger than our actions. And he said, what would Jesus do with a smiley face? So I don't know. Any other thoughts on this? Um, I have a question for you guys and it's off this subject, but um if, I don't know if it's a cultural thing and I'm missing it, but they sure made a point to talk about um, Absalom's hair. What was that all about? Anybody know? You know, that, that's a good point. <laughs> something, something that you'll notice in the Old Testament is whenever, um, in, our, in these stories, whenever they talk about the appearance of someone, mm-hmm. it generally has a, um, a point that's beyond just what they look like. So like, like we're told that David is small, ruddy in appearance, and we're told how big Saul is. So like we're, they don't tell you how everybody looks, but when they do, there's a point. Like we're to, to see David as the underdog, and we're supposed to see Saul as see Saul. <laughs> we're supposed to see Saul as like this big tough guy, and and so that they, I think the Bible gives us those details when we need them to kind of. Uh, how do you say well, this? It's not metaphor. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not metaphor. Right. But, but when it, um, when it serves a metaphoric purpose that it's included, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So here with, with Absalom, 
we we also see you know spoiler alert you know that that he ends up you know gaining people like he's he he gains people's trust and and he and, and he and he goes on to to try to you know become a king and kind of does become a king and so like we 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 get this picture of this charming good looking well spoken guy but we already know his history you know what i'm saying so like this sets up what's happening in, in chapters later that we're getting a picture of this of this really charming dude and, so and, and it's his hair is his actual his ultimate demise is his hair getting caught in a tree i forgot mm. about that yeah yeah so it's kind of setting that stage it's it's his identity you know it's you know it's uh, he's handsome and he's all about the hair and ultimately the hair is what takes him down so Guys don't grow long hair. (laughs) And that that reminds me of something I was thinking of earlier from what it's on your face, right? Yeah, that's fully allowed. But that reminds me of something earlier. I think it was Daniel that said this, um, you know, about how David, you know, he he began to fall because um, his identity is ego. Maybe it was Brent. His identity is ego. He began to kind of be prideful about about his kingship. And he also began to start being um, deceitful. Like with the, obviously the hiding things of the killing of Uriah and all these these things led to this these problems that we're seeing in these chapters. Isn't it interesting that it's the same things that led to Saul's demise? Mm-hmm. Saul started off doing all right, but once he kind of um, wanted to protect his position and kind of got full of himself, and then he you know began to be dishonest. That's when things went south for him. That's when things went south for David. And with Absalom, it's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. When we when we see him being deceitful and when we see him being um, egotistical and prideful, that starts to fall. So I think one thing that we can see by one story after another is pride and deceit often precede a fall. Yeah, God definitely opposes the proud. I mean, that's part of Hannah's song in the very beginning of 1 Samuel. And First and Second Samuel are one big story. Like it's all, you know, they had to cut it up into two different, uh, because of scroll length, two different books. And so like, it that's like a theme all throughout this is going to be pride. Uh, pride comes before the fall. And I think sometimes like we get like I see the similarities of his appearance to Saul's appearance. So like Saul is noticed for being like everybody thinks, oh, he's going to be a great king because of the way he looks. Absalom is kind of falling in a similar kind of uh, kind of narrative and pattern. And you see the pride in the way that he responded to like if he's guilty of anything, let the king kill me. Like he knows that he's guilty. Right. I mean, like like I mean, like so there's there's an arrogance that he has about him. And uh, also, I thought that too. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, you did something bad. You did. You (laughs) killed your brother. Um, But uh, but anyways, I think. What did I do? All I did was just kill my brother. I mean, I think like the Bible will also like because it's stories will also put together like really unique details. Like I love about like what are they the the seven sons of Sceva or whatever it is that we read about that basically I think it's an axe that are trying to cast out demons and they do it in the name of Paul and the demon like pounces on them and they all run away naked right and that, that's like a detailed story that's like whoa like that's really unique so we need to put that in there because that is like because that actually happened and like i think my favorite what, detail is the one about john and peter how they race the tomb and john's like i won i know exactly and so i think those are part of the the, the, the it's like this is this because this is actually the way it is and 
I don't know, I guess that's kind of unique to think that your hair gets so long that you cut it once a year and it weighs five pounds when you cut it. Yeah, I mean, that, like that was my big thing is like, hair's not heavy. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can say it's thick, it's heavy or whatever, but to have five pounds of hair hanging from your body, like- I, 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 I it's, vision, it's gotta be like really thick, greasy, oily hair to have yeah, like that weight, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> this, like walking around like, but they, how like, do you do that? <laughs> the amount that he cuts is that much. Like, so it's right. not even like his hair weighs that much. Whenever he cuts it once a year, that cutting weighs five pounds. I mean, I'm sure his neck was just like this, like, <laughs> and like you know, having to like hold his, you know, immense hair. And so, and I you know, and that could be, that could be hyperbole. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with hyperbole in the Bible. <clears throat> I mean, we see, we saw hyperbole in Joshua, you know, sometimes things are exaggerated that yes, the point is, that he had lustrous, beautiful hair, and it's painting a picture. Whether it's five pounds or four pounds or like half a pound, the, the point is the point here. The point is that he was a good-looking guy, and that, and that was part of his sleek, slick kind of you know entrance into power. So that that's something that that, <laughs> and it ultimately kills him. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, this is one of those let the point be the point kind of kind of things that, depending on how it doesn't matter how many pounds of hair he actually had, it's it's you know, we're getting a picture of what the guy looked like. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, anything else, guys, on this that you want to touch on before we get out of here? Yeah. If if, if by the way, if you guys write stories about me, if we're going to use hyperbole, uh, you know, his beard reached his navel. I think that would be a good a good hyperbole for me it doesn't but we'll just like in like as we talk about me in the future you know <laughs> I, I would say more that his beard was like the tusks of walrus well that's know, more realistic tusks. so i mean have you noticed that's starting to go away as more of it gets gray you don't see as much i know it's I sad know. <laughs> daniel brent we got we got a ways to go uh, I know. I don't right. think Daniel can get there, though. No, I'm not able to get there at all. I don't think can get there. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. I did want to point something that's not in here. It's in Psalm three, and mm -hmm. we don't have time to really dig in this day, but it'd be really cool for our uh, our viewers to maybe look at this. Yeah. And this is when David is being chased by Absalom and the army. He's praying to God in Psalm three, and it kind of gives you context of some of these psalms and when they were written and why they're written in the in the context of of why he's saying what he's saying. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if they read ahead uh, to the next two chapters in 2 Samuel and maybe jump over to Psalm and read this, it really, it has a whole new meaning to it uh, when you read the Psalm. Because a lot of time I read the Psalm, I'm like, oh, okay. And the Psalms are showing us how to pray. Mm -hmm. And it's showing you the context of why he's praying and what he's praying. So it may help some of our viewers understand a little bit better about how, how do I pray? Why do I pray this? How can I speak to God? And I think we could probably spend an hour just on Psalm 3 and relating back and forth. So I know we can't go there today, but I think it'd be really cool for people to go out there and look and, and see that bridge. Yep. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. I really like that. Um, we so were guys, laughing at you about for our, for our listeners that can't yeah. see. My, uh, my rotten seven-year-old loves to scream. So he's kind of going back and forth so everybody can see him. So, so no, we we weren't being rude and laughing at Alan, you know. Yeah. Um, well, cool guys. Uh, another fun conversation. Um, so, 
yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up if we can, um, unless anybody has anything else. Um, but um, Alan, if you wouldn't mind talking about praying, you want to pray for us today? Yeah, the- put me on the spot. I love it. Absolutely. That's what we do around here. Mm. You're somebody I know who I can. So yeah, Lord, we just, uh, we love you. God, thank you for uh, being here with us today. God, thank you for uh, giving the, us the wisdom to, uh, to understand what, what you're saying here, God. And I ask that uh, you draw us further into prayer and uh, give us revelation in our hearts of, of the meaning um, of what we're reading. Um, not only in second Samuel, but uh, the entire Bible. I pray that um, you lead us all into deeper relationship. I pray that you continue uh, to surround us with uh, a loving community, God, that uh, reveals more and more of your nature through them. God bless uh, all of us today. Bless uh, our viewers, our listeners. And um, Lord, uh, we're looking uh, forward to getting back uh, into our church where we can be among uh, all of our fellow brothers and sisters. And uh, we're anxiously awaiting that, but uh, we pray that uh, you open that uh, open that door for us, God, and um, give us a way to do that because we uh, definitely miss one another and uh, miss worshiping together uh, to worship you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Guys, as always, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Michael, Daniel. Thank you so much. Um, guys, we'll go ahead and get out of here, but uh, just want to encourage you guys, as always, um, until we see you next time, go out there and um, let, know, the light, uh, let the light of Jesus shine through you. Um, things are getting a little crazy. Just wanted to um, remind you to love one another and um, kingdom and, and Christ first over everything else, guys. So um, we thank you for joining us as always, and we will talk to you next week. See you guys. Thank, Bye, you, so much. thank you. See you guys. <laughs>